Well, good morning. It's pretty fun to get to see your smiling faces from up here two weeks in a row. You get to see my smiling face up here two weeks in a row. I don't know who's got the better part of this deal. Um, but I also think, speaking of smiling faces, want to say a special welcome to those of you joining us on SOCC.TV. We miss your smiling faces. And to every one of you, let me say happy, happy, it's not 4th of July weekend. It's not Father's Day weekend. Let me think. It's not spring break. It's not that awkward Sunday after Christmas, but before New Year's. You know, the normal holidays, I get to do things up here on stage. Did I just make it out of secondary holiday status? All right. And let me say, there's a, it, there's a lot more people here than most of those days. Now I'm nervous. Like, um, all right, but maybe, hold on. So second, is, is it anybody's birthday? Anybody have a birthday today? 80, whoa, an 80 year. What's your name, what's your name? Sally Pearson. Sally, Sally is 80 today, so. Happy Sally's 80th birthday to all of you. I want to say that today. I'm glad we could all be here today. Happy birthday. 80 is awesome. Well, I just had a birthday this week too. And so it felt pretty good a few weeks ago when Tom mentioned that uh, he was going to have some of the younger guys were going to be preaching these next few weeks. I felt very honored to be included in that younger guys because uh, I just had my first 39th birthday this week. So I'm feeling uh, I'll take anything I can get. And maybe I shouldn't admit my age. I should just let you keep thinking I'm like 27 or 28. Or 29? 30? All right. Um, but I'm excited. In my years of ministry, in the years of life, I'm excited I get to do this introduction for our new series today. It's, it's called MOVE, Finding Your Sacred Pathways. We're going to be discussing the different ways that we can love and connect to God, and hopefully we'll be able to identify our sacred pathway and to connect to God in an easier and more vibrant way. I'm excited because I think I'm sometimes the poster boy and just kind of, I, I was ready for this. When I heard it was the intro, I thought, I can do that. I have just acknowledged that I'm different. Sometimes that's all it takes in life is just, just accepting that we're different than each other, that we're all a little different. I'll never forget, 15 years ago, I began listening to J. Vernon McGee's Through the Bible podcast on my Zoom. Yes, it's a Zoom. It's like an iPod, only it was made by Windows before they realized they shouldn't try that. I used to listen to it on my 20-minute drive to church every day, and this was before podcasts were actually really a thing. It was when it was just called shows on your, your Zoom. I don't know what it was on an iPod, but I used to struggle in my days not just to find time to sit down and read without distraction, but I struggled just to actually sit down and read without distraction. But in my car, I was a captive audience, and the audio held my attention longer than reading ever seemed to. And his voice, for some reason, held my attention very strong. Maybe it was because his voice reminded me of my Life of Christ professor from college who had kicked me out of class many times, and so I had a healthy fear of that voice. <laughs> but the most exciting part was the day that the guilt and shame was lifted from my shoulders when I acknowledged that I was studying the Bible, that I was somehow checking that imaginary box off, that I was growing in my relationship with the Lord. So this morning, some of you may not consider podcast Bible study, and what we're going to talk about is that that's okay. Through this series, we're going to discover that there are many ways to connect to God and that he created each of us with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament and that God wants your worship according to the way he made you. So my goal this morning is to build a case for why these are important and why the next five weeks matter. I want you to be eager to hear the next pathway 
and to be looking forward to the possibility of having a more dynamic and fulfilling relationship with the Lord. You may be thinking this idea of different personalities and spiritual temperaments just doesn't apply to our worship and shouldn't be something that we explore in church, but I want us to take a minute and look at this idea of these principles and that these pathways are everywhere. If we acknowledge that there are differences in personality types and learning types, those probably will affect the ways that we interact with the world around us, which would, inter, uh, which would affect the way that we interact with the Lord. So let's start with this. Carl Jung developed four profiles to describe human nature. The Myers-Briggs, maybe you've heard of it. We acknowledge that this is a different personality types and impact each of us. You may know your four letters, E-N-F-P-I-N-T-J-Q-R-S-T-U-V. There's letters and people can usually qualify. Well, I'm a this, well, I'm a that. And we acknowledge that that's how we are different. Uh, the four things that it, it, it analyzes, the first one would be reality and how if we approach reality as an extrovert who is more at home in the social world or as an introvert who prefers to dwell in the inner world. Second, it registers how do we register input? As a sensing person using the five senses or as an intuitive person using our imagination? Then how do we organize and arrange data as a thinking person who uses logic and intellect or as a feeling person who arranges data according to how it affects people and relates to human values. But finally, it looks at how we arrange our outer reality. If we're a judging person who is orderly and controlling and, and managing, or as a perceptive person who is spontaneous and flexible. So combinations of those four profiles creates up to 16 different personality types that the Myers-Briggs tests are designed to separate. So while spiritual temperaments can differ from personality temperaments, the Myers-Briggs types can point us to the different ways that we can relate to God who created us with a variety of dispositions and interactions. So let's just acknowledge that an extroverted, imaginative person probably will connect to God and relate to God a little different than an introverted, logical intellect person. So maybe Myers-Briggs isn't for you. Maybe you're into this Enneagram thing. We have any Enneagram fans here. No, wow, okay, so like last Thursday, I was like, woo! Like Enneagram people are like all about Enneagrams. They even wrote a song about Enneagrams and it's not the alphabet, it's a song that's like on the radio. But people really like this Enneagram thing. It's popular right now and it's a tool for personal and cooperative transformation, same idea um, and what they, what they analyze. But the word Enneagram comes from the Greek word Ennea, which means nine, and gramos, which is a written symbol. And really what I wanted to do there was just do some Greek word explanation that wasn't from the Bible, so there you go. Um, it, it represents the nine distinct strategies for relating to self, others, and to the world. So each Enneagram has a different pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting that arises from our motivations or our worldview. So learning about these patterns creates a greater understanding of how we interact with others and the world around us. So our spiritual temperament can probably be distinguished from our personality temperament about which so much has been written. But just like our personality temperaments can change, so can our spiritual temperament. I don't know about you, I've changed a little bit with age and parenthood. I've gone from being the extrovert of extroverts to developing a little introvert edge. I sometimes need some time alone to recharge. Whereas I used to get all my energy that I needed from others and large groups. So my brain has gotten a little better at focusing I remember when I first began youth ministry years ago, writing my first bunch of lessons in my office, I would have two radios playing at the same time, playing different things, one over here and one over here. If I was just listening to one, I found myself like listening to the music and analyzing it and like, oh, I like that part, I like that part. If I didn't have any of them playing, I found myself making the noise and playing the music. So with two of them, 
It was just the right amount of noise that I could sufficiently be distracted and focus. If that makes any sense to you whatsoever, it does. But even in preparing for this message, it was the tale of two restaurants. I, I'll admit that I sat at Buffalo Wild Wings for almost three hours one day, snacking away on an appetizer sampler while organizing my thoughts with the notes from the book. And some in my department thought Buffalo Wild Wings was quite the interesting place to try to sit and focus with all the TVs and noise. But for me, I had spent the morning sitting at Crumble in silence studying. So I needed not only food, because I needed to eat, but I needed some noise. I kind of needed that to bring me back. So not only do our personalities and temperaments change, but even our routines can grow stale. So we can't just rely on one pathway to be the thing to sustain us for the rest of our lives. So even if you've come here this morning thinking you already know your pathway and you've been utilizing it for years and years, I want you to be open to the idea that it may be time for a change. I mean, there are certain foods that I really like, but it doesn't mean I want to eat them every day. Sometimes after too much of one food, you just can't take anymore. I used to eat Lucky Charms three meals a day. And I mean, like, I mean three meals a day. My mom, she could, she might comment on this. Hi, mom. She'll comment. Yeah, yeah, three meals a day. I ate it. And my grandma would buy Lucky Charms all the time. And I got to a point where I was like, I can't eat Lucky Charms. Um, Praise God, I'm back to Lucky Charms. I got back on the wagon. (laughs) But I would go to my grandma's house, even though during that period where I said I didn't eat Lucky Charms, I'd go to my grandma's and she always had Lucky Charms for me. And so I remember like, I'm going to eat them. I love you, grandma. So I ate those Lucky Charms, but I was over them. And I remember the day that I got over J. Vernon McGee. It wasn't a specific moment. Uh, Well, it really was actually a specific moment when I realized it wasn't working for me. It was him. It wasn't me. Um, (laughs) But I decided that I needed to find a new way to connect with the Lord. And I'm glad that I did, that I recognized that, and that I didn't continue with something that was becoming background noise, and that I didn't neglect my relationship with the Lord. So God created you with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament. He wants your worship according to the way that he made you. So what works for me, a 27-year-old production and worship guy is almost certainly not going to connect you to the Lord. We can't prescribe the same type of of spirituality for both a farmer in Iowa and a lawyer in Washington, D.C. Often, we've been taught that having a quiet time, and that's the only thing we've ever heard, and that we've let that quiet time lapse without ever finding a substitute. We've never been taught any other way to feed ourselves spiritually. And maybe you struggle with that, that idea of just a quiet time or prolonged prayer time. I know when I think of that, just that idea of like sitting quietly and praying for a long time, there was a, a ska song from 20 years ago that sticks out in my head. And uh, Ben Geiger quoted Brennan Manning and smart people last week. I'm going to quote the great theological band Frito Boat, if you will, this morning. If you don't know what ska is, you should look it up. It's fun and happy and everybody's joyful. But in this song, it just helped me realize that I wasn't alone. So let's, let's look at this together. It says, have you ever gone to bed and prayed before you sleep? And as your left brain talks to God, your right brain counts the sheep. And as you drift away, both sides begin to dream about jump roping ostriches that overeat ice cream. Kick it. All right. That, that phrase, whenever we're doing something and they're like, come up with an abstract phrase. I'm always like, jump roping ostriches that overeat ice cream. Somebody looks at, what? Where did you come up with that? I'm like, it's, it's, it's here, man. It's in here. So that phrase sticks out to me because it made me feel good that I wasn't alone uh, in, in feeling distracted sometimes. And maybe you've had a hard time with a quiet time, having a quiet time of your own in the morning. You know, the format where you have 30 to 60 minutes of personal worship followed by an accessory prayer where you have to use your prayer notebook or have a prayer list or something. And I wanted to share this morning my prayer journal. I have one. 
Uh, I was getting this out last night. I said, oh, I need to take my prayer journal. My wife said, you've never used that. I said, exactly, that's the point. But I pointed out, nope, three times. I got three whole days there, uh, 2011. Um, I've prayed since then. Um, but a friend made me that. We were at camp. I was the dean. She was heading up crafts. And she's like, do you have a prayer journal? It's like, no. She's like, oh, I'll make you one. You need one. Because she made me one. So I still have it. I want you to know that. Still have it, Christy. Um, all these years. But that, that idea of a quiet time and even having Bible study in a certain format, like a certain way, you have to have your study Bible and you have your, like, what are your different resources you use for studying the Bible? And then having to conclude it with prayer and you commit to sharing with at least one person that day. Just that idea of quiet time and having a specific format. Maybe we can admit that we need to find ways to effectively feed ourselves spiritually. So the focus on spiritual temperaments is an attempt to get us to understand how we can best relate to God and develop new ways of drawing near to him. So this series and this study are based on a book by Gary Thomas, Sacred Pathways. And many of the statements I'm using today are his. Probably the most profound ones that stick with you can be attributed to him or Frito Boat. But Gary wrote this book, uh, and he created this study because of the way that he saw biblical figures live these temperaments out on the pages of scripture and how he saw historical movements within the church influenced by different paths. So let's look at these pathways in scripture. When we look at scripture, I see this spelled out very plainly in how it relates to the churches and how the different pathways to the Lord are acknowledged in scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 uses the idea of being one body and many members to explain this and our differences. So it says, verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. So I love that it starts with, let's find that common ground and let that sink in, that we've all been baptized into one body and one spirit, and that we all share that same spirit. That's the important thing to remember. Because as it goes on, it says, a foot is not an eye, but we need to see and to be able to walk. Neither is more important. And when one suffers, the whole body suffers. So it points out that we are different. Verse 29, it continues on. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And that's love. It goes from, this is the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and it starts into 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. Maybe you've heard it. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So we hear that at weddings often, but what I want to point out is that that follows chapter 12, where it's talking about how the members of the church should interact with each other. And this whole letter to the Corinthians was about how they are, as a church, as a body of believers, as a body, how they are to behave. And so if we think about this idea of love is patient and kind and envy and boasting, that's talking about us and the way we, ways we relate to each other. So I want you to consider that. Do you know somebody in your life who says, oh, I get up at 4.30 every morning, I get my cup of coffee, and I get out my Bible, and I get out my prayer journal, and I have this quiet time every morning, and it's just so fulfilling, and don't you just want to hug those people. <laughs> Think about it. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not angry. 
keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So if I'm not the one who gets up at 4.30 and has a cup of coffee and gets out my scriptures and my empty prayer journal, just give me a hug too. Um, so let's look again. The idea of this body is brought up again in Romans 12 when it explains the differences. It's trying to help us to understand how we function together. It says Romans 12.3, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Again, if that isn't an indictment of how we think of others with different spiritual temperaments and different pathways than us, then I don't know what is. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So verse four, it says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give to Matt. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. A couple of you caught that. <laughs> but I believe that the way that we live out our spiritual temperaments or pathways is through our gifts. So if we work backwards and acknowledge that we have different gifts, then we acknowledge that those gifts come through the different temperaments, the different ways that we connect to God. Because God created us with different personalities and certain spiritual temperaments, and he wants us to worship according to the way he made us. Exercise your pathway through your gifts. Use it to the fullness in love. So we see this also in scripture. In Luke 10, in the characters, uh, we see Martha open up her house to Jesus, and she's working, working, working to make preparations for Jesus, and she complains that her sister Mary is just sitting there listening to what Jesus has to say. Well, Jesus accepted the worship of both women but he refused to force either to also worship in the way of the other. Scripture tells us that the same God is present from Genesis through Revelation. Though people worship that one God in many different ways. Abraham had kind of a religious bent to him. He, he enjoyed building altars everywhere he went. And I, I think I can relate to that. And I see myself as an altar builder. I like to connect things related to experiences. I love souvenirs. I keep some random things sometimes. First time I, went gol first time I got a par in golfing, I kept that, my par ball and put it on the shelf. Luckily, it got replaced by my first birdie ball, and I put the birdie ball on the shelf. And then I had kids who play with everything, and I have no idea where either of them are now. <laughs> first time I hit a clay bird when we were shooting skeet, I, was, I kept the shotgun shell for entirely too long. And this wasn't as an adult when I realized, oh, I'm left-handed when I shoot. But even as an adult, I kept that for far too long because I was so excited about it. I even think about how I'm like Abraham in the way with the altars the ways that I connect and the experiences with the Lord. And I've gotten tattoos that I had the rest of my life. But they're there to tell a story. They're there to remind me of what the Lord has done. Abraham's altars marked the unforgettable peaks of his spiritual experiences in the pathway of faith. They symbolized an acknowledgement of and an approach to an appreciation of God. So in other words, they represent his worship or his sacred pathways. Moses and Elijah... They revealed an activist streak in their various confrontations with the forces of evil and in their conversations with God. David, David celebrated with an enthusiastic style of worship, but he was also a renowned warrior. Think about David. David was a musician and a dancer. He was a poet who played skillfully, and he was also a man who stripped down to pretty much his underwear and danced as the ark was led back to Jerusalem. David was also the most famous warrior in the history of Israel. He led 
the armies into battle and attracted the devotion of the best warriors of the land as his closest friends. I think that's a pretty difficult balance to pull off. I would say David has a lot of these different pathways that he would follow and connects in. And after David was his son, King Solomon, who was the rich guy. And he made generous sacrifices to the Lord. Ezekiel and John described loud and colorful images of God, stunning and sensuous brilliance. And some of your eyes may have just glazed over at the phrase sensuous brilliance because we just don't comprehend the Lord that way. Mordecai demonstrated his love for God by caring for others, beginning with the orphaned Esther. Mary of Bethany is the classic contemplative sitting quietly at Jesus' feet. This all reminds me of a time when these ideas of different spiritual temperaments kind of reared its head here. We were working on that uh, resurrection prayer walk at Easter and got asked a pretty simple question by the receptionists. They said, you know, people are calling and asking how long will the prayer walk take so they know how much time to plan. Some were coming with their life group, some were coming on their own, and they were getting that phone call, and they asked. And uh, I don't know if they realized how loaded of a question that was. I knew when we were laying out the prayer walk, station four was a meditation station, and we put cushions out there because it was stated some people may want to, you know, kneel and pray and meditate for 15, you know, 20 minutes. And I was thinking, I'm going to sit here for like two minutes at the max and some squirrel is going to grab my attention over here. But I know that taking a flower from the grave where we mourned the death of a dream and putting it on the cross to symbolize resurrection on that same prayer walk had a significant impact on me. Is one more spiritual than the other? I mean, even the way the inspired gospel writers write appeals to different types of readers. Matthew speaks to the Jews and the deeply religious of our day. He built a case through the Old Testament scriptures and then presented Jesus' fulfillment. Mark spoke to the Romans. These were the leaders, and leadership and action impressed them. So like our modern businessmen and women, they want a God who can powerfully meet their deepest needs. So Mark focused on deeds and what Jesus did. Luke was a Greek speaking to the Greeks, and the Greeks loved culture, beauty, and ideas, and happiness could be found in the pursuit of truth. So Luke filled his book with insights and interviews and songs and details that fascinate the inquiring mind. John wrote to everyone because everyone needs to meet God and only Jesus can reveal him. So in this book, we meet an absolutely powerful God in human flesh who controls and rules the universe he created. So there's not necessarily one gospel that appeals to everyone. These four unique gospels were inspired for a reason. God created us with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament, and he wants us to be able to worship according to the way he made us. And I, that can include how we read and connect to Jesus' life and the teachings as recorded in written form. So what about our search? What about our pathway to God? How do we find that? Well, we need to be comprehensive and respectful. And maybe your first question is, what is a sacred pathway? Well, put very simply, it describes the way we relate to God and how we draw near to him. And do we have just one pathway? Not necessarily. Most of us will naturally have one predisposition for relating to God, which is our predominant spiritual temperament. And, but many of our major denominations and church differences are a result of trying to love God, but with a unique expression of love. So a lot of these differences have theological roots, but some are related to worship differences. Sometimes instead of learning from others, Christians have often chosen to just segregate themselves by starting a new church whenever worship preferences diverge. This segregation has created denominational walls and broken many Christians. Sometimes, unless you happen to be born into the right tradition, you're brought up to feed on someone else's diet. And unfortunately, some Christians have a tendency to question the legitimacy of any experience that may not be particularly of interest to them. So sometimes in our lives, instead of saying, that's not for me, 
we're guilty of saying that shouldn't be for anybody. So that attitude of that's not for me, that shouldn't be for anyone, it's sometimes um, something we relate to a certain generation or maybe think of other people of, doing, of saying, but I've heard it proclaimed often and loudly by just about everyone. Just because you love God through mystery and celebration doesn't mean someone can't authentically experience the Lord through ritual and symbol. And I'm guilty of this too. And so I just need to say, I'm sorry. I know I'm standing here preaching it, but even as I was thinking about it, I can think of many times I've stood here on the stage and ranted about something that I don't agree with. So I have to say I'm sorry too. So the good news is I haven't torn anything down, but I acknowledge that I should be more sensitive and understanding of your pathway connecting to God. So not only can how we worship determine our spiritual temperaments, but there are also special places that stick out in scripture. Where's your Gethsemane is a question in the book, Sacred Pathways, that really hangs in my head. Maybe that's because the week before I read this book, Sean Green and I, our Bedford campus pastor, Sean and I had just visited Camp Ileana in Washington, Indiana, and Sean seemed to know everyone there. And I think every single person with a staff shirt on, Sean gave him a big hug. And I'm not talking like, hey, nice to see you. He's like, hey, Sean hugged everybody. And he, every room in, we went into, he just stood there and described it with such reverence and amazement and like the gleam in his eye. And it was a cafeteria that like air conditioning wasn't working and they had hot dogs and hamburgers literally that day. But he had such a, a passion for this place and he was so excited about it just to show me every room. It was when he shared with me later that this was the camp where he had given his life to Christ 20 years earlier that I began to understand why he had that look in his eye, why this had such a special place in his heart. So in the Bible, Gethsemane has a monumental role in the week that Jesus was crucified precisely because it had such a huge role in the formative life of Jesus prior to this Passion Week. Jesus had used the garden on numerous occasions to meet with his father, to gain spiritual strength, and to receive his marching orders. The experience of Gethsemane is unique to Jesus, and none of us will ever have a moment like that. But in using the sacred place, Jesus left us an example to follow. When you need to hear from God, when you need to be strengthened by God, when you need to receive your marching orders from God, where do you go? For some of us, it may indeed be a garden or perhaps a place in a local forest. Others may prefer a sanctuary. I've seen people come in here and simply kneel and pray during the week, and we turn off the loud music on the stage and try to keep our banging and clanging of work to a minimum. And I've learned not to judge that person for feeling drawn to this place if that's where they've had an experience with the Lord. If anything, I should thank God for that. Still others may find peace with a musical instrument in your hands, but do you have a place or a moment where you best meet with God or those times when you most need him? Where is your Gethsemane? God created us with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament. He wants us to be able to worship according to the way he made us. So I want you to take time in this series to honestly seek your pathway and to move. We have a graphic that it goes through these nine sacred pathways we're gonna be exploring these next few weeks. I don't know if it's a lot easier to read in the handout you have, but I don't know if you can read those much. Um, you may be tempted to only listen expectantly or to only seek out heavily the weeks that we address your own spiritual temperaments. I mean, who doesn't wanna sit and play trivia crack through loving, his, loving, the God, loving God through his grandeur? If you're not a naturalist, you may not connect to that. But you may find that your life hasn't expressed certain temperaments because you've never been exposed to them. We need to have a much more comprehensive view of how Christians have expressed their love for God and maybe we'll even find that our initial evaluation of ourselves isn't as accurate as we thought. So by understanding our spiritual temperaments, we can develop the tools we need to grow spiritually and, and to move, to move in those pathways. So for the next five weeks, we're gonna be taking detailed looks at each of these temperaments. 
And my prayer is that you honestly search for yours and you're open to how God created you and how he wants to communicate to you. I encourage you to take time to respect them all and to see their value. This morning, you may have had your eyes open to just the possibility that your relationship with the Lord isn't all it could be. After this series, we hope you'll be able to express your own spiritual temperament or temperaments and that knowing this, you can begin a program of feeding yourself spiritually and have a dynamic relationship with the creator of the universe and the creator of your temperaments who put them in you for a reason. So maybe you just realized this morning that one of the roadblocks you've had in accepting Christ or starting a relationship with him was caused by stereotypical expectations of how you should connect with God and those just didn't fit with you. I want you to know this morning that God doesn't need you to read the whole Bible or to pray for five hours straight before you can be saved. He already sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. He wants to take away your guilt and shame. He wants you to experience the freedom that comes through a relationship with him. And you can begin that relationship with him today. We even have an activity that I think incorporates almost all nine sacred pathways. That activity is baptism. It's chock full of meaning, but it really symbolizes having our sins washed away, being reborn into a new life in a relationship with a Lord who loves and wants to connect with you. I pray that we all get excited about the possibilities to come new profound ways we can relate to God, even just the guilt lifting of not being able to sit and read for 30 minutes each day or not being able to sit and spend hours and hours in quiet meditation, that there are different ways for each of us to connect to the Lord and that we can find that sacred pathway. So this morning, if you have never taken that step and started a relationship with Jesus just because of some block in the road, something that you've thought you had to fulfill first, that box you had to check, I'd encourage you to come and talk with Tom or myself or other men and women here that'll be down front and love to share with you. And maybe if you just need some prayer, because maybe you have been struggling through your own quiet time and you haven't felt close to the Lord. I just pray that we can all be opened up and we can have that lifted off our shoulders. And not only lift off our shoulders, but we can have the Lord come join us and we can walk closer with him and he can help share that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you've made every one of us different. We praise you for the creativity that you showed through us. Lord, pray that we can celebrate. We can celebrate that. Lord, the thing we have in common is the need for a savior. And we thank you that you sent that through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.